0: Alright, hi, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. But we just wanted you to know that we're so glad that you've chosen to join us today, and once again, welcome. Now today what we're doing is we're actually beginning a new series which is going to be entitled Forgiveness. And forgiveness is a theme that works throughout the entirety of the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament, it is a theme that God establishes as a foundation for all human relationship. Human relationship with God and humanity, as well as our relationship with one another. And its importance cannot be underestimated in our daily lives, both as individuals and as a society at large. And so over the course of this series, we're going to talk about the importance of forgiveness as we continue to move with God to into his purposes and to a better day. And so today we're going to begin this series by entitling this message, The Great Debtor Society, The Great Debtor Society. And we're going to focus on this statement that we will be expressions of the grace of God when we remember the great debt that Jesus Christ paid for us. We're going to break the message down into three parts. We're going to talk first about the Great Debtor Society. Secondly, we're going to talk about who has the greater debt. And then finally, we're going to talk about the reality of our debts being fully paid. And isn't that good news for everyone out there who has got some bills to pay? And the world said amen, all right? So before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. And we thank you that you've given it to us to give us a theological understanding of who you are and not only who you are, but how you relate to us. God, in the way that you relate to us, God, may it be a model and may you empower us to relate with one another with the same grace and the same truth in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today, if you have a Bible, open with me to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read verses 21 through 35, and it's an encounter that the apostle Peter had with Jesus. And Peter, living in the fallen world, just like you and I do, was consumed with this idea of when is enough enough? And when is it that I know that people are going to cross me? When is it that I can finally call them to account and basically say, enough's enough, you've crossed the line, I'm done with you. Well, Jesus has a very interesting response, and then a parable to follow. Whenever G, uh, Peter made this a question for him, and it says in verse 22, 21 rather, then Peter came up and said to him, "Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him, as many as seven times?" And in the biblical time that uh, Peter was writing. Uh, I'm sorry, was addressing Jesus, the number seven was a biblical number of completion. So should I just give him till seven and then be done with them? But Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So Jesus was saying, um, it's not enough that you just have this number or this threshold that you get to, and then therefore cut people off. He says, not as seven times, but 77 times, meaning as often as somebody comes to you in humility and asks for forgiveness in repentance from their sin, he said, you should forgive them. Then Jesus gives them this parable saying, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And in this uh, particular culture, a talent was basically uh, worth a certain number of wages. And this 10,000 talents equated to 20 years wages, 20 years wages that this servant owed the master who was bringing things to account. And think about that. I don't don't know how much you love your job, but 20 years doing the same thing and owing somebody, 20 years worth of your salary is a big amount. And it said, And since he, meaning the servant, verse 25, could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, meaning the master, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And then again, in that culture, a denarii was basically a day's wage. So this man, the servant, the first servant, found another servant who owed him about a hundred days wages. Not a small chunk of change, but definitely not the same compared to the 20 years worth of wages that he owed his master. It says again in verse 28. When he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he, meaning the first servant, began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you the debt. When his fellow servant saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. And so what we see here is that it is a hypocrisy of sorts. It is in this debtors, great debtor society, and it's not just the 2000 years ago that Jesus was addressing it, but it was, it's also the great debtor society in which we live today. There's a hypocrisy that rises up of sorts because we don't realize not only the debts that are owed to us, but also the debts that we owe. And the truth of the matter is, is that we are all great debtors to whom others also owe debts. We're all great debtors to whom others also owe great debts. And when we think of debt, we think of it as something that we owe somebody financially, whether it be something like a car payment, a mortgage, a school loan, or otherwise. But it's also the honor that, we, that someone else's due from us because of some good that they've loaned us to benefit our lives, or quite frankly, in this case, to literally save our lives. And we are in debt to God. We are in debt to God. The understanding of the scriptures, understanding that God is the master, the creator of all heaven and earth. And that ultimately we will all stand before him one day and give an account for our lives. We will have to answer to God for the way that we've lived. And despite any of the good things that we've done, there is a debt that has been racked up in all of our lives because of our sin before God, whether it be our adultery, our thefts, our greed, our sexual immorality, our drunkenness, all of these different things are Commands that God clearly stated, this is the way that I want you to live life. And we broke those commands by doing these things and various others, and therefore have an insurmountable debt before God that will ultimately have to be paid when we meet Him face to face and when He settles accounts with us at the end of our days. And this is what the scripture is telling us that unless the God of heaven and earth, unless the master who is settling accounts with us takes pity on us, there is no way that we could stand before him, but instead have prison, death, and hell as our destiny. And the sad thing about it is, is that to pay those debts, it it ultimately never ultimately just affects us individually. When we do what's wrong, it ultimately affects our loved ones as well. Is that not true? If I'm living in drunkenness, that affects my family and friends as well. If I'm adulterous, that affects my family, friends, and church community as well. If I'm lying, cheating, or stealing, if I'm living in pride, and looking down in judgment towards other people that fractures relationships and affects my family, loved ones, and children as well. See, sin always has a price that needs to be paid that's greater than just the individual. It affects families, lineages, and generations alike. And unless this master had pity on this servant who had an insurmountable debt to be paid, Destruction was his destiny. Just like for each and every one of us, because of the sins that we think great or small, we we have to understand that every sin will be called to account at some point. And destruction will be our destiny unless the master has pity on us. But this is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is because of Jesus God sending his own son to live the perfect, sinless life that you and I should have lived. Working signs, wonders, and miracles showing that he was, in fact, God. And on the cross, dying and taking on himself the sacrificial death and the wrath of God that we should have taken for our debts. And because of his innocence, because of his Sinless account. He was raised from the dead three days later to give us forgiveness of those debts forgiveness of that sin and new life in him. Unless he had done that, we'd all be, have been doomed. But the good news is that in his pity for all of humanity, in his mercy towards all of humanity, he cries out to humanity far and wide in our cities, in our nation and the nations saying, come and let me cancel the debts that you owe me because of my love and pity for you. I don't want to destroy you. I want to settle accounts with you and give you new life, a second chance in me. That's the good news of the gospel. And it should transform our lives. It should transform how we see God and it should transform how we treat one another. But in this great debtor society in which we live, that's often not our response. Many times our response our, our response once we've received the goodness and the mercy and the pity of God towards us is to forget it when we relate with other people. And we are rough with others when we forget our own debt before God. And at the heart of the gospel, we need to understand that forgiveness is not actually having to look over or not deal with sin, but the heart of the gospel is Jesus Christ, who alone was completely innocent, proactively pursuing reconciliation, offering forgiveness and healing to those who would falsely accuse and ultimately murder him. And we forget that. Whenever someone else has offended us or someone else has sinned against us, much like this uh, uh, first servant had a debt that was to be paid by the second servant who owed him a 100 denarii. Instead of responding to the world around us with the same mercy that God showed towards us, what we do is we have a tendency to exalt ourselves in judgment, superiority, and condemnation towards others who have failed us. And just like the first servant, we treat our fellow man harshly, roughly, choking the life out of them by our judgments towards them when we forget our own debts before God. Because somehow we think that another man or another woman's debt is greater than our own. What our spouse did to us is more injurious than what we did to them. How our children responded to us is more injurious than any way that we've ever failed them. The way that our boss overlooked us for that promotion is more detrimental than the lack of effort that we put in at work for them. We have different scales for ourselves and other people. And when we forget the debt that we owed God that was paid by his pity, his mercy, and his grace, then we're rough with other people. And without a biblical orientation regarding forgiveness, cries for even things like righteousness and justice, buzzwords in our community right now, but they're biblical words. And may we never scorn that which is biblical when it's biblically defined. But cries for righteousness and justice turn into cycles of vindictiveness rather than the healing that Jesus offers through his gospel. And the damaging cycle of vindictiveness was expressed well by a man named Alan Jacobs when he said, when a society rejects the Christian account of who we are, meaning that The reason we exalt this idea of forgiveness today is because of the forgiveness theme that was perpetuated in the good news of Jesus. It wasn't something that was self-evident. It wasn't something that always existed in humanity, but our humanity was bettered by the good news and the gospel of Christ. And when a society rejects, Alan says, the Christian accounts of who we are, it doesn't become less moralistic but far more so, meaning far more so less moralistic, because it retains the inchoate sense of justice, but has no means of offering and receiving forgiveness. The great moral crisis of our time is not, as many of my fellow Christians believe, sexual licentiousness, but rather vindictiveness. Social media serve as crack for moralists, there's no high like the high you get when punishing malefactors But like every addiction, this one suffers from the inexorable law of diminishing returns. The mania for punishment will therefore get worse before it gets better. And what he's describing here is this parable that Jesus communicated played out. Whenever one person who was a debtor before God in a cry for justice doesn't actually have forgiveness in their purview, then what happens is that vindictiveness is the result. And we're looking to crucify people rather than reconcile with people. We're looking to exact from them the debts that they owe us in the way that the ways that they failed us rather than actually coming to a place of pitying them for the ways that they've done things and actually calling them to repentance like Christ called us to repentance and offering forgiveness upon that repentance. That happens in marriages, friendships, communities all the time. And the result of addictiveness even goes into the church when people feel like others have failed me. I've been carrying the weight of keeping this community together. I've been carrying the weight of seeing this good news advance. And what have the rest of you done? You owe me for where your good standing with God right now not remembering the debt that we ultimately were excused of before God. And when that happens, the relationships that we so desperately need will be cut off if we are all full of judgment and offense towards others. But the truth that we need to embrace as seen in this parable that Jesus gave us is that if we continually hold people in our debts because of what they've done to us or how they failed us, whether in a marriage, a friendship, or a community, God will ultimately hold us accountable for the debt that we have before him. That was verses 31 through 35 of that parable, right? Whenever the servants saw how the rest of the servants saw how the first servant was treating that second servant who owed him a hundred denarii, they went and reported it to the master. And the master said, you know what? Because you didn't remember the pity that I had on you. Now I'm going to hold you to account for the debt that you owe me. And you're going to prison until you pay it all off. What we need to understand is that we are most irritable, isolated, and lonely when we focus on other people's sin rather than our own. Is that not true? That is what I would gladly do because it's easier, costs me less, and makes me feel better about myself when I focus on other people's sin rather than my own. But the result of that is, again, an irritable, isolated, and lonely life because your judgments separate you not only from the other people, but from God himself. When the bitterness in soul begins to rise up, not realizing the love, freedom, and grace that's yours when you reflect on the debt that's been paid by Christ himself. And we're most healthy in relationships when we focus on the pity Christ expressed towards us and the great effort he made to reconcile great offenders to himself through the cross. When that is our focus, rather than the debts that others seemingly owe towards us because of their sin towards us, we focus instead on our debt that we owe God and the sin that in fact we ourselves have committed towards others, we're humbled to know I'm no better than my fellow man. I'm no better than the fellow women who surround me. I am no better than those who I would cast judgment upon because in many other areas, I too have failed and racked up my own debts before God and towards other people. And forgiveness begins with the humility to acknowledge that found in similar circumstances, but for the grace of God, we have done or might have done similar things to those who have sinned against us. And just because we find ourselves strong in one area doesn't mean that we're not weak in another. And when people sin, they're living out of their weakness that God wants to come and heal and strengthen. But if we think that we are somehow better or superior, then we'll forget our own weaknesses that have actually racked up debts before God and towards others. And be harsh with those who've sinned against us. And even if you cannot fathom the sin of others, reflecting on your own debt before God makes you merciful towards others. Even if you can't see yourself ever doing something that someone has done to you, um, to you, towards you. And we've all been there before, right? Saying, "I can't believe that person did that," or "I can't believe that person didn't do that that they should have done." We've all said the types of, those types of things before. But in the same respect, they could look right at us and say the same thing to us. I can't believe that they, that you, have done what you've done or not done what you should have done. Because we're all debtors to whom others owe great debts. But Jesus is giving us a clear path to relationship with himself and others by helping us understand that there is no moving forward in relationships without forgiveness. We need to be sure not to create our own prisons by failing to forgive, but instead ask ourselves a question who do we not need to, like Christ, pursue reconciliation with, offering forgiveness and healing by that forgiveness? Who do we need to pursue reconciliation with, offering pity, mercy? and forgiveness, even as God's offered it to us. And the reason we need to ask this question is because ultimately, in Christ, our debt has been fully paid. And that's the good news, right? That in Jesus Christ, our debt, because of Christ, your debts and the debts of those who who owe you can be fully paid at the cross. When any of us today realize that not only do people owe us debts, but we are debtors to not just other people, but to God himself, then we can realize that we can be forgiven and that others can be forgiven as well, that we can change and others can change as well. We can get better and others can get better as well, right? but it's only when forgiveness is the road upon which we travel together. The road that we travel in our relationship with God because of the cross of Christ. Then then invite others to that same road that they might meet Jesus at the cross, be forgiven of their debts and be transformed by that kindness and grace. You see, the Bible clearly says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's God's grace towards us, not treating us as our sins deserve, but treating us as we don't deserve that leads us to a place of repentance in him. And when we are an expression of that grace to others, they can also come to the cross of Christ and be transformed, be renewed, come to repentance and be made new in him. When we realize that our debts have been paid by God, For our sin, what happens is we spend the rest of our lives like the first servant's response to the master, saying, just be patient with me. Just be patient with me, and I'll work off what I owe you. And theologically, it's not because... Somehow our works begin to make us right before God. But what happens is, is that out of our love and appreciation for God and what he's done for us, canceling our debts out of love for him, and then the love that pours out of our hearts that originates with him for other people, then we live the rest of our lives in love towards others, showing them the same grace that God himself has shown us. And when we look to the cross, we are able to treat others with the same grace we ourselves have received from Jesus. And that's why there's a unifying power of the grace of Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great theologian, said it this way, that our community with one another in Christ consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. Our Christian community consists Solely in what Christ has done to both of us. That Christian brotherhood is a spiritual and not a human reality. In this, it differs from all other communities. Why? Because there are a series or a community of debtors, a bunch of people who are all realizing the great debts that they owe to God and one another. And because they are humbled by those debts, but they're also empowered by the grace shown them that those debts have been canceled in Christ, they're able to build together on the basis of forgiveness received from God and given to one another that enables them to endure and withstand any trial, any trial that they'll experience because they are a community of humble faith. And what forgiveness does not mean is that you do not address sin. Remember, the parable that Jesus gave started with the master calling his servant to an account. And all sin will ultimately be dealt with. And anyone who says that they belong to the Lord, they need to remember what Paul said in the letter to Timothy. He said, "Let God's solid foundation remains firm, sealed with this inscription, that the Lord knows those who are his. And though you might be playing a game with other people, you cannot fool God. And God says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Must turn away from wickedness. And so he says, when you belong to him, I will. when you belong to God, he says, I will deal with the sin in your life. Don't think it's just gonna be overlooked. Forgiveness will come through repentance. But understand this as well. People will make mistakes and you have a need to forgive them. This is what Jesus was saying to Peter. How often should you forgive them? Not seven times, but 77 times. Why? Because there's a healing power in forgiveness. There's a healing power in forgiveness that cannot be replicated, fabricated, or faked by the world around us. And I think we saw it in multiple examples over the past several years. Now, many of us have been distraught over this past year when atrocities like the violence against the Asian American community, those of the Pacific Islander descent, have been wrongfully attacked by the hatred and the sin that was in men and women's lives. And that's wrong and God condemns such a thing. There have been those who, though they wanted to do right in the midst of all this social unrest, have been caught in the crossfire of people acting out of a lack of forgiveness and a lack of the ability to realize their own debts and then therefore incur wrath against others. And cities and communities have been destroyed in the midst of the crossfire. That also is wrong. But even years before this past year in the pandemic, there were two instances of quite quite powerful significance that were displayed on the nation's screen. In 2015, there was a shooting in Charleston, South Carolina, in a church that actually was located right across the street, right across the street from the place that I went to middle school. And a young man went in and shot several African-American congregants in cold blood, and then was arrested and taken to trial. But how did that community and those families of the victims respond? They responded by offering forgiveness and communicating forgiveness to that young man. Why? Because of the supernatural grace of God towards them. They understood their own debts and therefore they were willing to give it to others. In 2006, there was a man who went into an Amish community in Pennsylvania and murdered several school-aged children and then after murdering the children, turned around and took his own life. And though the Amish would have been, should have been enraged by such an act, Their immediate response, uh, even in the midst of their grief, was to go to the family of the assailant and minister comfort and peace and forgiveness to the family of the murderer because they understood that the basis of their own lives was that they had a debt paid themselves by a crucified Lord who was unjustly treated and who now called them to offer the same forgiveness that they had themselves received in Christ. And so even as they were mourning the death of their school aged children, they were able to minister to the family of the assailant who also, they themselves in that family, were experiencing grief and they experience the grace of God. See, those are the supernatural responses that happen when people understand and remember their own debt before God and then therefore able to give it to others. It's what God's called all of us to in Christ. And so as we end today, let's commit to this idea of forgiveness, understanding that we're all part of a great debtor society That really, at the end of the day, who has the greater debt isn't even the question. We're all debtors before God and towards one another because of our sin. And then ultimately, the only hope that we have is in Jesus Christ, who paid the debts that we all owe because of his pity and kindness towards us, and then now calls us to offer that to others, that they also might go free that we be pursuers of reconciliation and God's peace, because he's called us to be that in Jesus' name. And so let's pray. And I want to first pray for those who feel like, you know what, I've, I've tried to live in my marriage, in my friendships, in my community at peace, but I feel like there's been a bitterness rising up in my soul that I just can't get over. And I don't know how to deal with it. I'm so angry at the world around me, but I need to get back to a place where I understand grace because I have a fresh revelation of the grace that God has first shown me that I might be a minister of God's reconciliation and peace to the world around me. If that's you, let me pray for you today. Father, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters in here today. And I pray that God, regardless of the offenses that have come against them, Father, I pray that in their marriages, in their families, in their friendships, and in their community, that God, they would have freedom and the healing grace of God really awakened in their soul today. That by the revelation of the debts that you canceled and paid for them at the cross of Christ, that they might also be willing and have the power of the Holy Spirit to offer it to others for their healing as well. God, I pray that bitterness would not mark our people, but instead, reconciliation, forgiveness, grace, and your peace. God bless our people with it all, in Jesus' name, amen. And for any of you who said, you know what, I know that I've never really given my life or heart to God. And I know that my debt before God is great, but right now as it stands, I would have to pay it on my own. And I know that I deserve death and hell, but I don't want it, and I'm asking God to forgive me to cancel my debts today. If that's you, let me pray for you. Almighty God, I thank you for those who you're bringing to repentance and faith today. And would you pray this prayer with me? Almighty God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. And I admit to you I have racked up a debt that I cannot pay before you. I know I deserve death and hell, but I thank you for sending Jesus to live the perfect life that I should have lived and on the cross dying the sacrificial death that I should have died. So that three days later, through his innocence, he would rise from the dead and give me the offer of forgiveness and new life. God, would you forgive me today and make me a new creation today? I proclaim Jesus as my Lord and ask you to cancel my debts before you that I might live a life of love, healing and forgiveness from this point forward towards you, and others in Jesus name, amen. Now the good news is, is if you prayed that prayer, God said he's made you a new creation. So would you go with me to our website, secondcitychurch.com slash new life. There you can find not only resources, but next steps of how to walk out this new life of forgiveness, grace, and truth in Jesus Christ. We're gonna to continue to talk about these matters in our community groups throughout the week. So if you've not yet been able to find one, please do visit our website where you can find both in-person and virtual options. We'll be praying for you, so please do let us know how we can be standing with you. And also think about how you can share this link so that others might be encouraged and strengthened by the grace of God. Invite others with you next week to the service who also need to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. And until then, have a wonderful week in the Lord. God bless you, and we love you.